for future economic trends. This is BizTalk. Hello and welcome to this special edition of BizTalk. I'm Guanxing in Beijing. The U.S. has been advocating the so-called rules-based international order, but it has constantly put its domestic law above international law and has been using long-arm jurisdiction to crack down on foreign entities. Is it what Washington calls rules-based international order or rules perpetuated by the U.S. for its own interests? To learn more about this, today we're joined by two distinguished guests. Professor Alexandro Teixeira from Tsinghua University is a former Minister of Tourism and Minister of Development, Industry and Foreign Trade of Brazil. Welcome to the show, Professor Teixeira. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And Professor Kongqin Jiangding of the School of International Law at China University of Political Science and Law. Thank you for joining us, Professor Kong. The United States puts its domestic law above international laws and uses long-arm jurisdiction as a tool to advance its own agenda. The U.S. has enacted such restrictive laws as the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, the Global Magnitsky Human Rights Accountability Act, and the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act. It has also issued a series of executive orders targeting specific countries, entities, or individuals. The ambiguous rules are a willful expansion of the jurisdiction of U.S. domestic laws. The U.S. also abuses its domestic channels of prosecution to exercise long-arm jurisdiction over entities and individuals in other countries. Professor Teixeira, let me start with you. What exactly is so-called rules-based international order championed by the U.S.? What's your views and comments on the fact that the U.S. itself often ignore, evade, or even rewrite the rules whenever they seem inconvenient? They always say that if you have an American company, an American person involved in any kind of situation, they can use the internal law to, to analyze the situation. A good example is what they call, it's a bias, because what they call uh, corruption. The United States inside the country use that as a lobby. But mm. when the countries, they try to lobby in industry, they say that it's corruption. So they apply a corruption act that is inside the United States, is not a value in other countries. That's a, a curious, uh, I would say, a measure that the United States has been taking to fight competition elsewhere. So every time they found that a company is trying uh, to use the same things that they use inside the American market that's called lobby, that is a legal procedure in the United States, they say, oh, goes against my corruption act. So, so it's a very double standard situation. As of fiscal year 2021, the entities and individuals on U.S. sanction lists topped 9,421, which was 933% higher compared to the fiscal year 2000. The U.S.'s unilateral sanctions and long-arm jurisdiction have gravely undermined the sovereignty and security of other countries and severely impacted their economic development and people's well-being. Professor Cohn, does long-arm jurisdiction has legal basis in international affairs? Long-arm jurisdictions actually are referred to such a situation where a domestic law of a given country is given extraterritorial extra effect, that is the legal effect beyond its borders. And international laws, to some extent, recognize a country in, in certain conditions may implement so-called uh, long-arm jurisdiction. However, 
customary international has imposed a lot of disciplines upon the implementations of such long-arm jurisdiction. First of all, it has to meet a condition that uh, uh, such an act concerned will be uh, connected with the with the country that intends to impose so-called uh, long-arm jurisdiction. Secondly, if such an act has caused injury to a third country, to a third nation, then the third nation will be in the position to retaliate in, in the form of countermeasures. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's another thing that is the international so-called long-arm jurisdiction cannot be exercised at a cost of other countries' jurisdiction. Judged from this perspective, we will find the U.S. actually is often abusing so-called law-armed jurisdiction, and that are subject to legal challenge on international law. And Professor Kong, do you agree that the United States is using sanction as a tool to stifle uh, competition? At least the three factors are connected with the drastic increase of the U.S. sanction. First, the U.S. used weaponizing sanctions to punish its rivalries. In a way, the country has relied on sanctions to pursue its diplomatic, economic, political interest and strategic interest. For example, in order to contain Russia and China strategically, the U.S. has not only sharpened its tools, but implemented more sanctions from its legal toolkits. Secondly, the U.S. is competing with its rivalries, so it needs to mobilize its allies, mm-hmm. employing the sanction tools against its rivalries, will cause tensions and will also have the effect of creating an atmosphere in which its allies might follow up. Thirdly, the U.S. economy does not go well, particularly as inflation surges. It needs to divert the public attention to its achievements, so-called achievements on international stage, resorting to sanctions against its rivalries has such a psychological effect. Coming up next, the U.S. is abusing its dominance in economic and judicial matters to weaken other companies around the world. Why do you think the United States was after Alstom and Huawei? Technology, the long-arm justice, twisted some internal law to avoid the U.S. used weaponizing sanctions to punish its rivalries. Hi, this is Niu Niu. And yes, Old Wisdom New Insights is back with a brand new season. Just check out the historical figures we've selected for you. There's the top KOL in Song Dynasty, a real celebrity influencer. If I write an article about a place, it will become a tourist destination and stay popular for centuries. There's the man who was so weird but so talented that almost all the famous celebrities of his time were both offended and impressed by him at the same time. To be liked or disliked, that was never the question for me. I was not really popular among my peers, but I was too occupied with my dream to even realize that. There's the successful novelist who changed his career path in his 60s and did a really good job. I say, it's never too old to follow your dream. 60, it's just my 30. Now, do you know who I'm talking about? If not, don't you worry. 
That's what the show is all about. Join me to find out with more old wisdom, new insights with the modern twist. Just subscribe and listen to Old Wisdom, New Insights on all the major podcast platforms. A platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is Biz Talk. Law and arm jurisdiction is controversial due to the lack of clear definitions under international law. It is believed that America has taken law and arm jurisdiction upon itself to become the world's judge and jury. When it comes to improper extraterritorial application of American laws, law and arm jurisdiction rarely go to trial, and firms involved are limited in what they can say to defend themselves. In 2013, French industrial conglomerate Alstom executive Frederic Pierucci was arrested in New York. Alstom stood as a symbol of France's industrial power, but was then dismembered by the United States. Well, the American trap is, is basically the way the U.S. is using uh, the law as an economic weapon to uh, uh, weaken their uh, competitors. In April 2013, Frederic Pierucci found himself at the heart of a state scandal when he was arrested after he landed at John F. Kennedy Airport in New York. Alstom,、uh, basically, if you know the company, basically is involved in power generation. So、uh, Alstom has built all the nuclear steam turbines for the nucle- French nuclear power plants. Pierucci was then senior executive Alstom's boiler subsidiary. He was accused of bribery after the French company won a power plant contract in Indonesia. Told me that if you plead guilty, you're going to be released、uh, in six months. Pierucci refused. The U.S. imprisoned him for more than two years. He later found out that his arrest was part of a secret economic war that the United States was waging against some European countries. On the、uh, Alstom side. Uh, the clear goal was to buy out the company and to、uh, control basically uh, 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 all the nuclear、uh, power plant in France. In the end, Alstom was forced to pay a 772 million U.S. dollar fine. That was the biggest financial penalty ever imposed by the United States. The company also gave up control of its power branch to General Electric, its biggest competitor in America. Before Alstom, you had uh, 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 several companies who went through this. You had、uh, Total, Technip, Alcatel, but、mm-hmm. uh, every time the co- company、uh, managed to make a deal with the United States and sign a, a, a plea agreement and, and, and pay a, a, a big check,、uh, that didn't make the headline. What, what was different about Alstom is that、uh, basically Alstom did not only pay a check, but then was basically sold out to, to General Electric. The United States has been using long-arm jurisdiction against the foreign entities, with Huawei and Alstom being some of the high-profile victims. Professor Tashira, why do you think the United States was after Alstom and Huawei? Technology, basically, that's that's the main target of them. They they want to contain leadership of Huawei, for example, and Alstom, because they see that they are、uh, getting that we are talking about 5G, we are talking about new technology, so. If they cannot contain them at the,、uh, let's say, do a proxy here. If you cannot contain at the pitch with the players, what they do, they ask the referee to intervene. Okay, and that's exactly what's happened in this case.、Uh, mm. Those companies, they are winning the economic match. 
Okay, so they cannot uh, stop them at an economic level. So what they do, they go to the referee, they go to the legal part or their jurisdictions to say, okay, you are doing something bad. They are not doing anything bad. There is no problem with data. There is no problem with big data. It's just a question of leading technology. So they, they are abusing, uh, the, they are using their legal law uh, system to, to try, as it says, a long arm justice to try to input uh some problems with those companies so so our uh viewers can understand so they use their internal jurisdiction and, in, and twisted some internal law to avoid competition this is a non-competitive act and, mm -hmm. and they are always very vocal that the world needs to be a free world free competitive free markets and when they are losing the game that they set up the rules they want to change it. Five years after the Alstom crackdown, the United States used a similar strategy against Huawei as part of Washington's sanctions against the Chinese telecom giant. It is long way back home for Meng Wanzhou, chief financial officer of Chinese telecom giant Huawei. On December 1, 2018, Sabrina Meng Wanzhou was arrested in Canada at request of New York court. Meng was charged in connection with Huawei's alleged violations of U.S. sanctions on Iran. Meng was freed on bail days later and lived in Vancouver while fighting extradition to the United States. After nearly three years on the house arrest in Canada, Meng Wanzhou was released in September 2021. Over the past three years, my life has been turned upside down. It was disruptive time for me as a mother, a wife, and a company executive. But I believe every cloud has a silver lining. Meng's arrest via the use of said long arm jurisdiction sparked widespread controversy. There is a very uh, uh, similarity of, of in, in the way that the U.S. Department of Justice is approaching this. You know, uh, basically, uh, in order to put pressure on the company, they, are, they arrest or they indict uh, somebody close to the top of, of, of the company. So what hap uh, is happening to Mrs. Meng is very similar to what happened uh, uh, to me. Now, on the Huawei side, it's more to uh, to stop uh, a competitor who has a big advantage in a, in a unique technology, which is a 5G technology, which is a technology of the future. And Professor Cohn, is long arm jurisdiction practiced by the U.S. fair for these targeted companies? I don't think the U.S. achieved its goal when it imposes a sanction on these targeted companies. Of course, the purpose of the sanction is to undermine the position of such companies as Huawei in the global market and its competitiveness of the technology. However, such a sanction cannot, cannot realize, actually cannot, cannot be contributed uh, to its uh, final goal. And uh, Huawei, as far as I, I, I know, Huawei actually has been, has become a leader in the 5G technology develop, development and has done quite well so far, yeah. The U.S. has never hesitated to initiate aggressive sanctions against companies and entities around the world to maintain its hegemony. 
Toshiba, Japan's leading semiconductor chip producer in the 1980s, was sanctioned by the United States over national security concerns and banned from the U.S. market for years. Even U.S. allies and partners want to keep all options open when it comes to relations with the country. In August 2018, French President Macron called on Europe to defend its strategic interests and financial independence with tools that can fend off U.S. extraterritorial sanctions. He criticized the U.S. by saying, "The partner with whom Europe built the post-World War order appears to be turning its back on this shared history." Why are economic sanctions increasingly being used by America, Professor Teixeira? Uh, basically, when we analyze international trade, they use that to to use as a measure of protection of their market. They like to say that they like competition, but when they are, I would say,、uh, they are threats in a good way. In a good way, because this is not a war threat; it's a commercial threat. With someone that is more competitive than them, they try to raise sanctions. They try to create walls. So in fact, in one side they advocate free trade, they advocate free measures, but when you're going to see,、uh, they create uh, uh, sanctions to stop companies, to stop sectors around the world, and that's just not happened with China, happened with other countries. So that's a non-competitive action. That's what I call.、It. If you want to be a free world, there is no reason why you want to have sanctions. Uh, you know, and, and that's what they are doing now with Russia. That's what they been, have been doing with China、uh, for some quite light time、uh, to protect themselves、uh, because they are not real competitive in some sectors. We see that with semiconductors. We are seeing that with Chip Four, the alliance that United States proposed with South Korea, with Japan towards the the semiconductors and chip industry to to avoid competition. So, what can be done to counter、uh, these long-arm jurisdictions,、uh, Professor Teixeira? The first thing is denounce. Okay, that's、uh, the most important thing. Denounce and talk at the international level. Second, if it's hurting and we can prove that it's hurting a company, and that was the case that Huawei was discussion, go to international、uh, courts and go to the,、uh, institutions like WTO and United Nations. To show what's going on, and third, as Professor Kong says, we have internal mechanisms, even the internal、mm. uh, legal system of the country that has been affected,、uh, to challenge、uh, those measures. Coming up next, upholding the international order set by the UN Charter. What worries me most, however, is the fact that the rules-based international order is being challenged. Quite surprisingly. Not by the usual suspects, but by its main architect and guarantor, the U.S. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. 
the hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. The U.S. has mostly given up on key international institutions it had previously helped to build. That most notably includes the United Nations and World Trade Organization, except when those bodies serve a convenient purpose. The U.S. has withdrawn from 17 international organizations and treaties since the 1980s, including the United Nations Human Rights Council, the World Health Organization, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, the Paris Agreement, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action on Iran Nuclear Program, the Arms Trade Treaty, the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, and the Treaty on Open Skies. And Professor Tashira,、uh, should rules be designed by a few countries by the U.S.? Who gets to write the rules? Since the beginning of United Nations, if we go a little bit before United Nations, called the League of Nations in 1920 after the, the First World War, and then later United、uh, Nations, one of the clear rules in terms of United Nations decisions and around United Nations is that、uh, we need to agree upon the rules. If there is many countries that disagree, this is, will not be, be incorporated by United Nations. So、uh, mm-hmm. basically, what the United States、uh, does is they overuse the term、uh, of you, I would say international rule and use their own vision、uh, to impose or to dictate、uh, different ways to behave other countries. That's absurd, in my opinion. That happens a lot, not just with China, but happens with Latin American countries a lot when they have a vision, what they call democracy, when they have a vision, what they call international trade, and they want the other countries to abide for、uh, for for their law. In, in my opinion, that's wrong, and we should acknowledge any any international rules、uh, that is not a law is rules is a guideline. Uh, we need to look at the United Nations Charter. That's it. Beijing's actions continue to undermine the rules-based order. We will remain focused on the most serious long-term challenge to the international order, and that's posed by the People's Republic of China. The false U.S. accusations fail against China, but its sanctions in long-arm jurisdiction constitutes a gross violation of international law and basic norms of international relations. A 2015 estimate says that a third of the world's people live under some form of economic sanctions, some massively lethal. U.S. bullying has been widely rejected by the international community. Tufts professor Daniel Dresner is also a senior fellow at Brookings Institution, and he says sanctions not only are ineffective but also exert a humanitarian toll. Dresner says that the United States of America has become the United States of sanctions. A French daily newspaper points out that long-arm jurisdiction has been used by the United States to weaken foreign competitors. Professor Cohn, some U.S. officials claim that China is a challenger or threat to current world order. For me, it should be pointed out at the very beginning there is no such an exact term as rules-based international order in international law.、Mm. On the surface, the term invented by the U.S. is neutral. As a matter of fact. It's meant to comfort 
moral superiority on whoever invents it and whoever is using it. For example, when the U.S. uses the term to blame China or other country for its international behavior, it's suggesting that the blame the country is not abiding by the rules. Mm. For me, it should be reminded that whether the rule-based international order depends on what rules the user is referring to. If the rules refer to the, those embedded in the UN Charter, the term mm. is welcoming. The problem is that the U.S. often imparts its own understanding to the international rule. Sometimes the U.S. even refers its own rules or the rules made by itself and its alliance. Mm. That's why many countries do not agree with this term. One country will be in a position to impose unilaterally its own rules upon other countries. For China, I think, international order, there is only one international order which should be centered around the United Nations. And there's only one international law that is based on the UN Charter and the well-recognized principles of international law. Why is the U.S. capable of long-arm jurisdiction? The U.S. has abused its financial hegemony in technological clout and engaged in economic coercion, but the U.S. is seeing diminishing returns on financial sanctions. The more the United States threatens companies with the loss of access to its financial sectors or penalizes those relying on dollars for various sanctions, the more attractive alternative structural arrangements may become. We're saying that more and more countries started to reduce their reliance on U.S. dollar, on the financial system, and technology cooperation. Will U.S. bullying behaviors backfire, Professor Teixeira? I think it's already backfiring. Mm -hmm. uh, the case that I would like to give, for example, is the Summit of the Americas, where the United States organized uh, the meeting in Los Angeles and didn't invite some countries of Latin America because they didn't like it. They didn't invite Venezuela. They did not invite Nicaragua. They did not invite uh, Cuba. That's a bullying process. If you want to discuss democracy, you need one of the characteristics that you need to be able to sit and discuss with people that uh, doesn't agree with you. And, and that's not what the United States has done. So countries like Mexico, like Argentina, in some extent, the president of Mexico didn't go to the meeting because he said, no, that's not the way I want. They stopped it. So uh, our position in Latin America, in the majority of Latin America, is to say, OK, uh, stop talking, stop t telling me what to do. Act accordingly what you say you want to do. So uh, this is kind of saying, OK, we are tired of you bullying or you telling or you taking the leadership that nobody asked you to, to take it. OK, so that, that, that's I think it's already clear in the international scenario, in my opinion. So the rules based international order championed by the United States is, in fact, another version of power politics. But using long arm jurisdiction and other measures, the United States imposes its own will and standards on others. In a world that has already been threatened by geopolitical tensions, recession risks, and climate catastrophes, a further split of commonly accepted international laws and norms will lead to unforeseeable danger. And that's all for this edition of Biz Talk. Thank you for being with us. Until next time, bye for now.